Let's pray together. For the gift of fellowship, we give thanks, O God. For the challenges you place before us every day, we give thanks. And ask now that you challenge us further. Open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our spirits to what it is that you need for us to learn this day. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Learning to Follow, part two. The Gospel of Matthew, we moved through very quickly last week and learned that it is very intentionally presented to people like you and I who are called to be followers or disciples. We learned last week that word is very particular in the relationship with Jesus because disciple means learner. We're called to be learners. That is, on the journeys we share, both going through the Bible, as we've been doing since last August, but also journeying together on this movement of faith that we're called to, to learn what is it that God hopes for us, expects of us, needs from us. As we move into today's lesson, I want to commend Mark I'm so thankful for being on a staff with talented preachers and good biblical scholars. And Mark Green this morning not only is a fantastic musician and teacher, but also did a great job in preaching and fresh start today from the Gospel of Matthew, a little bit farther on, but wrestling with this Matthew teaching about how to follow Jesus. And the focus was when Jesus presents before a group of people a child and lifts up childlike faith and does a a very controversial thing in flipping the script and saying that we're supposed to be like this, a child, childlike faith of innocence, of hope, of resiliency, of, of enthusiasm, of wonder. The early Christians often were chastised by the surrounding culture, and there's records of this criticism. You Christians are turning the world upside down. To which the Christians would respond, no, we're turning the world right side up. Where did they get that? Well, they got that from Jesus because throughout the Gospel of Matthew and all four Gospels, we see this flipping of the script, of turning things upside down, of, of taking a child and make the, making the lesson instead of having this mature and, and impressive faith. Instead, there's this humble posture of being like a child, which for those days was not supposed to happen. Children were supposed to be sidelined, seen but not heard. And yet Jesus flips the script, turns it upside down, and uses the child as the model of faith. We've got hard words to wrestle with today. Moving into this passage more deeply that Julian just read a moment ago, if you listen carefully, it's not something terribly attractive. Imagine having this on Facebook 
where the whole point of Facebook is really supposed to be marketing yourself, not denying yourself. This sounds very unreasonable and a horrible marketing technique. Hey, everybody, push yourselves aside, lower yourself, talk badly about yourself, think badly about yourself. Of course, that's the opposite of what we're learning, the importance of mental health and better perspectives on our lives is really crucial for moving out of a pandemic, dealing with a pandemic, dealing with social problems and the fracturing of our society. Trying to lift ourselves up, the idea of denying ourselves doesn't make sense. This take up your cross, well, let's take each of these as we move through and see if we can at least challenge ourselves as I think Jesus is pushing us to be learners in this life we share together. What does it mean when we say or when we hear Jesus challenging us to deny ourselves? One of the ways that I think Jesus is really trying to push us is not so much lowering our self-esteem. There always in Jesus' teaching is the element of humility versus hypocrisy. Jesus condemning hypocrisy, but lifting up humility. So in a sense, denying ourselves is placing our self-interest to the side and listening carefully to those around us. A great example is simply the name of this gospel, Matthew. Now think about Jesus' calling. Last week our scripture was about the calling of Matthew. Who was Matthew? He also was referred to at times as Levi. Matthew was a tax collector. And if you've learned before, studied a little bit about what that meant for that time and that place as a part of the, the Roman imperial system, tax collectors were really essential for the Romans to maintain the empire. They were paid on the Roman system, but they also got a cut from the taxes that they collected. So there was incentive for these tax collectors to elevate their rates some, cheat people, and they were seen as collaborators with the occupying forces. It was a very negative thing. If you were from a place and you were recruited by the Romans or you volunteered to the Romans or you applied for the job, you were seen by your neighbors as a collaborator because then you were responsible for taking money from them and giving it to the people that you were supposed to hate. This was Matthew. Matthew was a collaborator and he also likely, like Zacchaeus will study in a few weeks in the Gospel of Luke, probably very wealthy. Luke is very clear that Zacchaeus had lots of money. This was the thing that tax collectors, they had the benefit of being able to be better than other people financially. Well, how do you think those other people felt about Matthew? Jesus called Matthew to be a disciple. What did Matthew have to do? Well, first of all, he had to put aside his self-interest and recognize the power of what Jesus was offering him, a new life, a new way, a new perspective. But there's another self-interest at work here, and that's from the other disciples, like Peter, for example. So the very namesake of our gospel, Matthew, tells the story of Peter, who was Peter. He had a very traditional role, a traditional job. He was a fisherman. 
in that particular kind of work that Peter was a part of, he likely would have had the opposite perspective of Matthew on how to get along in life. Just do the right thing, work hard, use your hands, uh, get up early in the morning and work late at night. Earn your money, be proud of what you do, contribute to your family, be a part of your community. How do you think Peter felt about collaborators and tax collectors like Matthew? Probably hated him. And the feeling likely was mutual. Imagine Matthew and Peter in the same little group following Jesus. The only way they could survive together in that group is to put aside their self-interest. In other words, to deny themselves to the extent that the focus was not on them, but rather the focus was on Jesus and learning how to be an effective disciple in a new world where things are seen differently and turned not so much upside down, but right side up. And then a third person in this group of disciples, Simon. Now, Peter sometimes was called Simon. His Aramaic name was Simon. But there was also another disciple named Simon, sometimes called Simon the Zealot. Now, who were zealots? Zealots hated the Romans. Matthew worked with the Romans. Zealots wanted to kill the Romans. Simon would have had the opposite perspective of Peter. What was Peter's perspective? Just work hard and get along and keep your head down and do the right thing. Matthew's perspective, work with whoever's in charge. Don't ask too many questions and just focus on making money. What's Simon's perspective? Matthew and Peter have no guts. They're not real men. Real men fight for what they believe in. We've got to kick these people out. That's the, that's the zealot mission. Get these people out of our country. We've got to control our own destiny. Simon, Matthew, and Peter. They had to stop focusing on their own agendas and their own self-interest and learn to focus on Jesus and his mission and his call and his hope. As disciples learning every day how to be different than what they were and move into what they needed to be and who they needed to be. To deny ourselves then is not to think badly of ourselves but to gain a new vision of ourselves, to redo our resume in the sense that we see ourselves not so much marketing ourselves as offering ourselves to Jesus and the world. Lord, how can you use me today to be part of your vision for tomorrow? Deny yourself and take up your cross also not a terribly attractive marketing technique for today's world. Take up your cross. Well, another way of working with this phrase, perhaps, is be ready to tackle the hard stuff. Don't just be content with marketing ourselves and trying to make other people think our life is all together and happy. Don't focus completely on just trying to figure out what do I want and what will make me happy? But instead, think more deeply about why did 
God put me here in this place, in this time, with these people? What is it God needs me to do in my life, in this place, to make a difference in how we act and interact with one another and the world? Just this past week, I got an email that had a very important impact, or can have a very important impact on our area. Many of you are aware that uh, video surveillance is a thing now, an important thing, indicator like other places, because it provides law enforcement with some key clues as to who may have committed a crime, or who is it that, that was injured, or how they got injured, or what happened. And it can be a very positive thing. And many of us just take for granted video surveillance can be very positive because you don't have to worry about not having evidence for a particular thing that happened around the square here in Decatur or in front of a particular store. There may well be video evidence that will provide some clues about the crime or the incident or the problem. It doesn't occur to me as a white person that this might be a problem. But there's clear evidence, story after story, where video surveillance can often be used for racial profiling. I didn't know that. But a very kind and important email was circulated among our Decatur ministers saying, while video surveillance is important in fighting crime, it also is important for us to realize and talk about and be transparent with needing parameters and safety features to make sure that we don't succumb to the temptation to racial profiling. Many of us hadn't thought about that and suddenly are aware and in dialogue now with our police and police chief. How can we be assured and assured others that this will be done correctly, transparently, appropriately, and for the good of all? people. It's a powerful reminder, and it's one of those tough issues when you begin to move into times like this where society is so fractured and emotions are so fragile and people are so angry at the least little thing, to try our best to ask the hard questions. And for Christians, for learners, disciples, trying to figure out what does Jesus call me to do today, to take seriously the issue of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, do unto others always as you would have them do unto you. Which means asking the hard question, what would it feel like to be racially profiled? What would it feel like to be in that position, that situation, to be him or her? What would that feel like? And then when trying to be empathetic in how that might feel, then asking the question, what must I do? What am I learning? What is God calling me to be and to do here and now? It's seeing the world with new eyes. It's not so much turning things upside down as turning things right side up in the way God needs and hopes and dreams for us. Just after this passage in the 16th chapter, in the 17th chapter of Matthew, I love this verse. And the picture that is accompanying this verse, I'll, I'm going to explain in just a second, but 
Uh, Jesus says this following in chapter 17. Truly I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. While this verse is interesting, I want to really highlight this photo because if you look carefully to the right, there is this branch. And the branch, I love this because I took it, the branch is of a mustard tree, okay? A mustard seed grows into a mustard tree. So these are mustard blooms and a mustard tree. And behind, a lot of scholars say that the photo in the background, we're going to get a little closer to it, is actually what Jesus was referring to in this passage. The mustard seed growing into a mustard tree, this idea of if you just have that kind of faith, that small faith that will grow into a tree, you actually can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will do so. Now, this is why this is important. This is a real place. This is in the West Bank in Palestine. I took it last May. And what we're looking at is a place called Herodian. It's on the right, the little mountain on the right. Now, <clears throat> go back. The mountain on the left, it's a hill now. But it used to look like the mountain on the right. And this guy by the name of Herod, Herod the Great, the same guy in the second chapter of Matthew that caused all the problems in, in uh, the second chapter of Matthew, causing Jesus and Joseph and Mary to flee to Egypt because of his fear about this new king told as the, the Magi had shared with him. Now, this was Herod later to be known as the Great. And the reason he was known as the Great is because he was an amazing builder. What Herod did with this in this photograph illustrates that Herod said to his engineers, and he had all kinds of these well-paid architects and engineers and workers from all over the Roman world that would come to, to this area in Judea and would construct these things that Herod would dream up. And here's what Herod dreamed up. He said, I want this, this mountain on the left moved and make a mountain on the right. But when you make the mountain on the right, I want a palace built inside of it and then surrounded by the mountain. So the mountain on the left, the workers that Herod employed did exactly what he asked and constructed this palace fortress called Herodian. These are the, the archeological remains today that we tour when we go to the Holy Land. Now, why this is important, it looks like, as a guy in one of my groups once just said, preacher, it just looks like a bunch of rocks. Yeah, but they were super cool rocks, and they were built in a way that is amazing. This is what Herodian would have looked like in Herod's time. A mountain literally moved from one place to another place with a palace fortress built in the, in the new mountain, and then the, the second mountain surrounding it. In other words, Herod literally moved a mountain from point A to point B. And you can see the evidence very clearly displayed today in Bethsahor, right outside of Bethlehem in Judea. What was Jesus saying exactly? Well, faith is not something where you just sit around and go, boy, I, just, I sure hope things get better. Somebody needs to do something. 
Well, in a very clever way, Herod is using a nasty guy named Herod to illustrate a sacred point. With a little bit of faith and some vision and pulling together some other people that can help you, you can do amazing things. Look what Herod did. He literally moved the mountain from point A to point B. As learners, feel that gentle challenge and that push. The beauty of faith is it begins that movement in us where we look around us and say, would you join with me in trying to do the right thing and helping and being better and learning how to follow Jesus more deeply and more fully? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to share with you a poem by Brian Bilson, and I'm going to say it starts out very controversially, but it's about refugees. There are two perspectives offered. First, we're going to read it through front ways. Then we're going to turn it upside down or actually maybe right side up and read it backwards. And watch what happens. Listen to this perspective, two perspectives. They have no need of our help. So do not tell me these haggard faces could belong to you or me. Should life have dealt a different hand, we need to see them for who they really are. Chancers and scroungers, layabouts and loungers, with bombs up their sleeves, cutthroats and thieves, they are not welcome here. We should make them go back to where they came from. They cannot share our food, share our homes, share our countries. Instead, let us build a wall and keep them out. It is not okay to say, these are people just like us. A place should only belong to those who were born here. Do not be so stupid to think that the world can be looked at a different way. Now let's read it backwards. The world can be looked at a different way. Do not be so stupid to think that a place should only be long to those who are born there. These are people just like us. It is not okay to say build a wall and keep them out. Instead, let us share our countries, share our homes, share our food. They cannot go back to where they came from. We should make them welcome here. They are not cutthroats and thieves with bombs up their sleeves, layabouts and loungers, chances and scroungers, We need to see them for who they really are. Should life have dealt a different hand, these haggard faces could belong to you or me. So do not tell me they have no need of our help. The world said to those early Christians, you people are turning this world upside down. And the Christians said, no, We're trying to turn the world right side up. Jesus said, deny yourself, take the cross, and follow me. Let us do our best.